My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Well, good morning, this is Mark Madison, and welcome to On Books and People. Today, we're flipping the script. Instead of me interviewing a guest, I'm going to be interviewed on my own podcast. So, Jason, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you. Now, I know that uh, you know our listeners have a habit of listening to Mark Madison. I don't know how much you actually know about him, but I do want to mention that you know I've known a lot of speakers and authors, and I'm going to let you in on a secret. Most of them peak and burn out in a few years, and then they give up their dreams, and they spend the rest of their lives doing something else. Mark has been a successful speaker and a best-selling author for decades. He is a veteran of this business. He's cracked the code. He understands how to succeed, and more importantly, he understands how to sustain his success over a long period of time. And that is what you have to do if you want to build a career. Not to put any pressure on Mark, but some of the information he's going to share with us today could make the difference between success and failure in your career. So settle in, grab a pen and paper, and let's get started. Mark, how are you today? Uh, well, you know, I'm on this side of the grass. I'm so old, I don't even buy green bananas anymore. <laughs> Very wise decision. You know you're not going to waste anything. At least your heirs will not be inheriting your green bananas. So let's get started. Tell me, how did you become a public speaker? Was it a, a deliberate decision, an accident, or something that crept up on you over time? Well, one of my favorite quotes is from The Godfather 3. I thought it was out. They pulled me back in. Uh, I, was, I wasn't the class clown. I was the class wit. Uh, the class clown was the guy who ran naked across the football field. I was the guy that talked him into it. So, uh, but I, I always like to make people laugh. And I had, a, I had a, my best friend was Tom Hackenberger. And he was German. And we had this German class together. And we would do dialogues every Monday morning. And Tom was a really quick wit and very, very bright guy. And, you know, editor of the school newspaper, quarterback. He was like Ferris Bueller. And so Tom and I would do these dialogues and we would always go first and we'd always make ours funny. And Susan Hall, the German teacher who, whom I loved, she was a, a, a real mentor for me. She got me writing letters, exchange students. Girls were sending me letters from France and Germany. And so she got me started as a writer writing letters. She signed me up for this thing. And, uh, you know, all these letters started coming out of nowhere. And so I responded to them. And I wrote letters for years. So I didn't even realize it, but she got me into the, the writing end of the pool. But then fast forward, I'm in my early 20s. I have a chimney cleaning business. And Susan asked me to come talk to some kids at the high school. And I said, Susan, why would they care what I have to say? She said, well, you got in a lot of trouble when you were here and you've turned your life around and you have a good story. And I think this kids could, would profit from hearing your story. So it was basically a class full of misfits, and, which was perfect. And they liked it. And then my phone rang and it was the basketball coach. And he said, hey, my point guard was in that class you spoke to last week. And he said, you should come talk to the basketball team. You played here. You were a good player. You played in college. So would you consider coming talking to the team? I said, sure. So I did, and they liked it, and my phone rings again. And this time, it's, it's 
the same kid's aunt who's an activities director at a different high school. And she said, I understand you're an inspirational speaker. And I said, really, who told you that? She said, my nephew, Stephen. And I said, oh, that kid. She said, would you consider coming to talk to uh, 400 freshmen at Shortcrest High School? She said, we can't pay your normal fee. And I said, fee, there's a fee? And she said, all we have is $250. So I covered up the phone and I said, honey, to my wife, this woman wants to pay me $250 to talk to some kids for an hour. And my wife said, take it. So that's how it got started. And then, then I asked myself a really simple question. I, I got great feedback from that large crowd of freshmen. And I thought to myself, this is great. I really like doing it. And evidently I seem to be pretty good. How, do people do this for a living? And if so, who are they and where are they? So I started reading everything I could find and I started going to every single uh, event that came to Seattle. So that was really the genesis. So once you got started doing this, and I think one interesting point that you brought up is that you said yes to basically every opportunity that you had. I think a lot of people, they feel a little bit uh, reluctant. They, they don't feel that they have the ability, but you understood that the way to develop that ability was to say yes to every opportunity that came up, and then you probably got better and better. So along that road, did you have mentors or inspirations, people who set examples for the speaker you aspired to be? How did they make you better? Oh, by all means. So there's a couple of questions there. So I'll take the first one. So because I was going to every seminar that came down the pike, I, I ran into an old mentor of mine, Bob Moad. Bob was a very famous speaker and he had been a mentor of mine when I was 14. I attended a seminar uh, that he conducted over a two-day period in 1971 and I took 50 pages of notes and, and I started setting goals and it literally changed my life. And, and Bob changed my life. And so fast forward you know, 20 some years later, here I am a 35 year old sales rep and here's Bob Moad and he's still doing his thing, except now he's doing it at a very high level. And so we reconnected, we had lunch many times uh, and then pretty soon I realized he was recruiting me. So I left a very uh, successful sales position working with a contractor to go to work for Bob. And I drove from Edmonds to Tacoma, which is 55 miles one way through some of the worst traffic to uh, to learn the speaking business at Bob's feet. And he was a great mentor. And he's since passed away. But uh, Bob taught me a great deal about the speaking business, not just not just the platform skills and the content, but, uh, you know, how to market and sell yourself. I remember one time we were calling on a, a CFO of the Washington State Patrol. And this gentleman asked us a question. And Bob, instead of answering the question, said, there's a reason you asked that question. Do you mind if I ask what it is? And I remember thinking, wow, what a great like next level question, right? And so those are the kinds of things I learned from Bob. And he was a wonderful mentor. And then the other thing Bob did was he had hundreds of audio programs. And so you'll appreciate this part of the story, Jason. So because I had this long commute, I was listening to a different speaker once or twice a week. I was going through, you know, hundreds of audio programs and I'm listening to Charlie Tremendous Jones. And it was a Thursday night at 6.30 and I was, and I was driving through downtown Seattle and it was the worst kind of traffic, just stop and go. And I was laughing so hard, my side hurt. So I pulled over and I uh, turned the cassette box over. That's how old this story is. It was a cassette box. And I called the number. It was a 717 area code. And this guy answers the phone. He says, executive books. I said, I'm looking for a guy named Charlie Jones. And I don't even know if he's around anymore. 
and uh, the voice says, no, he's still here. I said, no kidding. I said, how do I get a hold of him? He said, well, you're talking to him. And I said, well, okay. Uh, well, let me take my foot out of my mouth now that I have athlete's tongue. And he laughed. And he said, who is this tremendous voice on the other end of the phone? And that's how I met Charlie Jones. And as you know, Jason, Charlie, you know, changed my life. Absolutely. How do you, how do you feel that uh, working with him or, or just meeting with him and spending time with him improved your uh, work as a speaker? Charlie, as you well know, Jason, was a missionary for reading books. I mean, he would kiss, he would hold up a book when he was presenting because he was a world-class speaker, but he had a, he was on a mission and I'm on that same mission. I've taken up that mantle to get people to read. And he would literally kiss a book and he'd go, this book will change your life. And he'd kiss it, you know, and then he'd give it to somebody. And Charlie started mailing me books. And so I started devouring everything he sent me. And he saw that I was a hungry student. He saw that I was ambitious and I was curious. And, and then the turning point came, he came to Seattle and I picked him up at the airport and I drove him to his gig. And that's where we started the relationship. And then of course, as you all know, I sent him a manuscript in late 99, early 2000, Freedom From Fear. And he said, uh, he said something that literally changed my life. He said, if you, if you're going to write another book like this, you won't need to speak anymore. And that's how he used to talk, you know? And, and I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, he said, I'd like to publish it. And I said, you're a publisher. I didn't even know executive books was a publishing company. I had just formed this relationship with Charlie. And so he said, I'm going to print 10,000 copies. And, and that was the beginning of this whole journey. And I, I think, Charlie was one of those guys, Jason, that made me want to be better. I know he had that same impact on you. Absolutely. There was something about his ability to, to not only find the best in you and bring that out, but make you want to work harder. I, I just didn't want to disappoint him, you know? So I kept writing and he kept publishing my books. And I mean, it's, I mean, I just got an order today. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was fulfilling a book order because I sign every book I send out. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't go through some other vehicle. So, yeah. Right. The, the, go ahead. And I'm glad you brought up the, the books and the writing because we're going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that one thing that a lot of people aren't aware of when it comes to speaking is, is how you, is the fact that it, probably a lion's share of the work is preparation. The amount of time you spend on the platform versus the amount of time you spend preparing Yes. Uh, is, is very low. So how do you prepare for a keynote address? And just for those who are new to, to speaking, a keynote address is an address that's usually given at some sort of a seminar event that sets the keynote for the entire proceeding. So it's, it's, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders when you're delivering a keynote. And there's Take us through your, yeah. your preparation process for something like that. Well, in a general session, there's usually an opening keynote and a closing keynote. And so I've evolved into a uh, having a pretty successful keynote speaking business. I still do seminars and workshops, but uh, you know, the largest audience I talk to is 2,500 people. And a keynote is really more about entertainment than it is education. But I think you have to have, uh, you have to have two things. You have to have platform skills and content. And I think it, one isn't any good without the other. So it's kind of like a, you know, if you have, if you have great platform skills, uh, it's kind of like, a, a donut, a really good donut. It tastes good, but there's not much con. There's not much nutrition. 
and you can have great content and no platform skills and you just bore the living daylights out of the audience. So I think a great speaker has to have both. And so you're right. Preparation is everything. I just did a 30 minute virtual keynote for a, a very large contractor in Arizona. And uh, I prepared 10 hours. For, it's, I, I call it the 10 to one ratio. So prepare 10 hours for every one hour keynote. Unless I've done that specific keynote before, then it may go down to five to one. But I, I tailor every presentation. So what I do is I, I start the process by asking the client what his objectives are. What's the one thing that they want to take away? And what's it going to mean to the audience, you know, if we achieve that? And what's it going to mean to him or her personally if we achieve that? And then the next thing is, uh, how will we know? You know, if, if you know, it, and maybe it's a standing ovation, maybe it's a long line at the book counter, maybe it's a change of behavior, a shift in attitude. So I go through about five or six different questions, and then I tailor my presentations toward that end. But I also tailor towards the industry. I started out working primarily with contractors, distributors, and manufacturers in, in contracting, but I've since branched out to companies like Microsoft, Aflac, T-Mobile, John Deere, ConocoPhillips. And, you know, ConocoPhillips is a $15 billion oil company. And the first time I spoke to them, I prepared like crazy. I, I, I kind of learned the language of the industry. And I weaved examples and quotes from different people in the industry into my presentation. So there's an old expression, chance favors the prepared. And uh, I prepare exhaustively for everyone. Uh, workshops and seminars are different. And, and let me make a distinction. <laughs> Winston Churchill said, if you want me to talk for 15 minutes, I'll need three weeks to prepare. If you want me to talk all day, I can start right now. And I think what he meant was, if you're going to do an all-day seminar or a half-day workshop, or you have lots of flexibility and time to improvise and get people involved and do role-playing and and skills transfer, but with a keynote, you've got to step onto that stage and have the confidence and the skill and the ability to not just deliver perhaps a humorous approach, but also there needs to be rock solid content and easy to remember uh, action items. I use a lot of acronyms like ARU, appreciation, respect, and understanding, right? So uh, I guess that's the best way to describe it is you have a real short period of time to, inter well, I call it edutaining, to educate and entertain at the same time, if that makes sense. Lots of people, I think, imagine being on the platform. They see public speakers, they see the glamour, they see the excitement. Does the reality differ from the perception? Is it, is it everything that you imagined it would be? There is nothing. Uh, okay, let me make a distinction. Uh, I, I love standing ovations. I've gotten a lot of them. I'm pretty good at what I do now. I have a measure of confidence that I didn't have when I first started, but uh, I prefer standing invitations instead. A standing invitation is somebody giving you their business card saying you'd be perfect for our event. And that happens pretty much every time I speak. And uh, then I got pretty smart and I, I started offering, you know, deals from the stage at the end, but I can always tell uh, if I've really struck a chord, if there's a long line at the book counter afterwards, if there's 50 people standing in line, I, I made a difference. You know, I got through. I've had, I've had standing ovations and nobody came to the book counter. And uh, I think standing ovations are for your ego. Standing invitations are for your income. So, but, but there's one other distinction, and that is really, truly, the only person to please is the person that hired me, as long as they're delighted. And I've had a couple of times where I didn't delight the economic buyer and I wasn't asked back. 
And that was a powerful lesson. I have to be able to balance uh, meeting the, the needs and demands of the person who hired me and signed the check to the audience as well. And so I found a way to do both. But again, it requires a fair amount of preparation. So uh, stage fright or, or fear of public speaking, which I think are in many cases two sides of the same coin, is one of the most commonly cited fears among the general public, right up there with fear of heights. In fact, it's been said that most people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Exactly. Stage, does stage fright affect you? How do you cope with it? What strategies do you have uh, for people to be able to overcome that fear when they're in the position of being a speaker? Well, I don't have those butterflies anymore. When I first started, I, obviously I had them. And then the next level was I learned them. I, I learned them. I, I taught the butterflies how to fly in formation. I learned them. I learned them butterflies. <laughs> and, and now I, I just don't because not only am I prepared, but I've done this, you know, I've done thousands of presentations. So uh, I, I love it. My, my biggest challenge is I can't turn my brain off after the presentation. Because I sit there and think about, okay, what went well? What could I improve? Oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. And so one of the, one of the disciplines that I do after a presentation is I write, I write down in my journal, what did I do well? And then what could I improve? And I give that a lot of thought because it's, you know, it's 1% a day, right? Improve 1% a day for 90 days and you're twice as good. So that's a, that's a, that's a pretty important uh, part of the process is the, the debrief afterwards. But I also, one of the things I do is I check back with the person who hired me and I'd say, how did it go? And they said, oh, it was amazing. Like the one I did uh, yesterday, the, the keynote I recorded in a studio in Seattle. And I watched the video and I thought it went really well, but I, I, I called my client and I said, how did you like the video? And he goes, it was fantastic. It's exactly what I was looking for. We're so excited. And so we need that feedback. You know, we can't live in a vacuum. We can't you can't trust smile sheets and standing ovations. They're not necessarily the indication that you've delivered what the person who hired you was looking for, if that makes sense. Right, right. Now to circle back just once, and you touched on this briefly, uh, in, in terms of that fright, that stage fright, that fear of public speaking, it sounds to me like really the key to overcoming that is, is preparation, is knowing your material inside and out. Is that right? Yes. And, and frankly, doing lots and lots of talks. I mean, you, I think it was Zig Ziglar did 500 talks before he ever, you know, charged for one. So my first talks were Rotary, Kiwanis, you know, uh, Cub Scouts, uh, anybody, <laughs> anybody that would listen. And I got lots of coffee cups and, you know, did a bunch of them for free for a long time. And then I said, okay, uh, because when somebody said, you know, how much do you charge? It was like, well, okay, 500, I guess 500. And I remember kind of hesitating of 500, right? And they go, oh yeah, that's fine. And then as the, my confidence grew, so did my fees. And so now I don't have a problem saying, you know, my fees $10,000 and, and, uh, and that includes books for everybody and you know, and I'll do a value added. That's the other thing is I don't just do a keynote. I'll do a book signing and then I'll do a bonus workshop and I may even facilitate a panel discussion. And that's one of the, the ways I say, well, look, you don't need to hire three different people to do that. I can do all three of those things. And so facilitating a panel or emceeing an event, uh, I've been asked to do that uh, because people see that I'm comfortable up on the stage and they seem to like what I do. Uh, so those things kind of grew out of it, but I think honestly, Jason, it's 
you, you kind of learn as you go, but it's preparation and practice. Now you've mentioned books a couple times uh, today, and I want to talk about that for a minute because I think the one thing that a lot of speakers don't understand is how books tie into their speaking success. And the opposite is also true. Too many authors, especially authors, don't understand how speaking can help to bring success to their careers. So as in addition to being a successful public speaker, you're also a best-selling author. I think you understand something important about books, that they are an essential part of a successful speaking career. In fact, I'd say that without books, there's a limit to how far you can go as a speaker. How have books helped elevate you above the pack? Well, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I think Charlie understood that because I had started a speaking business and I was doing a lot of seminars, but I didn't have a book. And then uh, <laughs> I had done work in uh, facilities management and those folks were my clients. And so those were the first people that I told that I was speaking. And so a friend of mine who was a professor at the University of Washington that taught facilities management asked me to come talk to uh, his class. And so I did, and then from that, I got a request to submit a book called uh, Effective Communication. And the University of Washington actually paid me $3,000 to write it. This was in the mid to late 90s. And uh, I, wow, I couldn't believe somebody wanted to pay me to write. So I, I, pour, I, you know, I poured myself into it. I did the very best I could. And uh, nine people read it, no wait, 10, my mother. It had a small audience. You see, I didn't own the rights to the book, so I couldn't market it. I could sell the cassettes, uh, and I sold a few of those. But that's when I realized that I liked to write, and I was actually pretty good at it. But see, the problem was, Jason, I'd set a goal to write a book. That was the goal. And effective communication fulfilled that objective. And I realized that was a crummy goal. What I really wanted was a best-selling book. So I set a new goal to write a best-selling book, and I spent the next year researching everything I could find about what made a book a bestseller. And after I concluded there were five or six things, I made sure all five of those things were in Freedom From Fear, a great title, a short and sweet, less than 100 pages, a fable format, right, a twist at the end, and written in kind of everyday language. I had a CEO of a large grocery store chain say, your book was pedestrian, and I didn't even know what that meant at the time. But he said, I really like it. I keep it by my bedside. I read the chapter every night. So he gave me an insult. And he, you know, I thought the book was pedestrian, but you know, he bought copies for all of his employees. So I really didn't care if it was pedestrian or not. And uh, you know, it's since been translated into five or six languages and you know, 150,000 copies. So a book changed a bunch of things for me. It was additional income, which was uh, great. I just got a big book order this morning. Um, and so that, that's kind of like manna from heaven, but a, a book also gives a speaker credibility and to be able to hold your book up. And, you know, one of the ways I, this is literally the only way I promote my book. I ask for a volunteer. I talk about comfort zones and I ask for a volunteer, right? And somebody comes up to the stage and I just give them a book. And I said, this is the only reason I had you come up just to give you this book to thank you for stretching your comfort zones. And then they, then they leave and you can see people's faces and they're like, dang it, I should have gone up there. Now everybody knows I have a book. That's it. That's all the promotion I do from the stage. A lot of people, a lot of people who hire speakers have a hard time with them selling their books from the stage and having it be a one big ad. So I don't do that. I just deliver a great presentation. And, and if, if they like the presentation, they'll stand in line to buy the book because they want to take you home. 
But I, I think if I could have done it all over again, Jason, I would have started with a book instead of you know building a speaking business and then eventually writing a book. Because most people have a message and uh, your mess can be your message, quoting Judy Carter. So write your message out. And what I tell, what I tell aspiring uh, writers and speakers is, look, there's something you're passionate about and there's something you know a great deal about. That's what you should write about. You know, I poured myself through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books on personal development. And then I wrote Freedom from Fear because it's very much a personal development story. But it was also um, inspired by my late friend, Tom Hackenberger, the gentleman who uh, I mentioned earlier was my German partner and my best friend. He died at 34. And so, you know, there's a part of him in that book. And that part of the book is kind of heart-wrenching and, uh, and sad. But there's a happy ending. There's a kind of a twist at the end. So, yeah, that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. I hope I answered it. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, those of you listening who haven't read it, uh, Freedom from Fear has a lot to offer in terms of knowledge and wisdom, and it, has, it does have a hard-hitting twist at the end. It's, it's emotional, and that's not something that you typically get out of a self-improvement book. So I strongly recommend, if you have not read it, get a copy, read it. It, it, it will change your life. Uh, I tell people, Jason, that it's a bathroom book. They can read it in four sittings if they don't mind their life going numb. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> it's only 95 pages. Come on. <laughs> the best 95 pages you'll ever read in the bathroom for sure. Exactly. So what, what are the greatest rewards of public speaking? What at the end of a hard day makes you say that was worth all the hard work? Oh man. I, you know, I think it's either in you or it isn't to want to make a difference in people's lives. If you're a coach, a teacher, a mentor of any kind. I mean, if you genuinely love helping people, and I do, it's a passion for me. I, I discovered that through basketball. Uh, I was a junior counselor at a basketball camp. I, I coached kids for years. And the, the coaching part of my life was kind of central to who I am. So I think if you have a, a great message and a strong desire to make a difference in the world, I love the quote from Steve Jobs, make a dent in the universe. I think if that's in you, then you probably have a pretty good chance of being a speaker. Uh, you know, you, you think about the arts, right? You think about somebody who's a pastor or a sports coach, right? Those folks are all speakers, you know, the, they're, they're teachers. John Wooden was a teacher first, a coach second. And of course he had a very, very successful speaking career after he retired. You know, I heard him speak, uh, gosh, 1993. In fact, I asked him a question. I asked him two questions afterwards. What do you miss? And what book had the biggest impact on you? And he said, Magnificent Obsession by Lloyd C. Douglas. And after I read that book, that inspired me to write Freedom from Fear. So the, you know, hearing somebody speak, having them suggest a book, read the book, and have it influence the book I write, it's all connected, right? So if, if you're a speaker, you need to write a book. If you're a writer, you need to, you need to learn how to speak to promote your book. Otherwise, Okay, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I got asked to speak at the writers group in Edmonds, and I've spoken there a couple of times. And these are folks from all over, of all ages, and and uh, I got there early to hear a few stories being read, and then they had me speak for an hour. And so I said, "Look, all of you are better writers than I am. I, I've I've heard some of your stories; they're fantastic. But I said I'm ten times the marketer you are. 
I'm 10 times the salesperson. Some of you will never sell more than three or 400 copies of your book because you don't see yourself as a marketing and salesperson who happens to be a writer. And I said, for aspiring writers and speakers, you have to know how to market and sell your, your books. I wouldn't say I'm a world-class marketer, but I'm pretty good at it. You know, podcasts, um, electronic newsletters. Um, I've put 120 some articles on LinkedIn, um, Facebook. You know, I, I, I market and sell myself. I ask my clients, you know, if I do a good job, would you mind introducing me? And uh, referrals and word of mouth. So those are all things that you need to learn how to do. And it sounds like a lot, but uh, I think if you have a book, uh, that's a business card people don't throw away. And if it's a good book and it changes people's lives, it, the reason I had Microsoft as a client is someone there read my book and called me and said, can you do some team building for us? So it's having a book has led to so much business. And I, you know, and now I, you know, how many eBooks, Jason? 12, right? I just keep writing. I, I have so much fun writing. And, and that's, the, that's the other thing I'd like to make a distinction here is there's two, there's two sides to my personality. There's, there's the person that goes out into the public and is on airplanes every week and, and presenting all the time. And that's a very public life. And then there's the writer in me that's sitting on the deck, looking out over the water, you know, banging out three to five pages a day. So, yeah, I mean, those two disciplines, writing and speaking, serve my personality really well. I'm an ambivert or a situational extrovert. So you touched on a couple of things that I was going to ask you about here. And that is that, you know, as I said at the beginning, I've seen a lot of speakers come and go, but you've built an enduring career. So you mentioned marketing, you mentioned referrals. Is there anything else that you would recommend to ensure ongoing success over a long period of time, a career as opposed to just a quick burst? Uh, yeah, I think uh, for me, I stumbled on this. I, I, ch I chose mechanical contracting because that was where I grew up. That was the work I did for years. So that, that niche might only be a quarter inch wide, but it's four miles deep. So find a niche, start with uh, an area that you know something about and, you know, dig deep into, into that particular vertical market. I think that was, you know, and then branch out of it eventually and and make make your your books and your message um, general and what I mean by general is it has a broad application um, John Legend the singer-songwriter said uh, a hit song has two qualities it's universal and it's personal and I think your book and your message from the stage need to be universal and personal and if they are then you got a pretty good chance of people wanting to uh, to to hire you you know to buy your book yeah, I, I know we're running out of time, Jason, so. Yep, uh, we're getting close. Uh, now, I know that you have a new venture that's launching soon. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Stone Soup Group. So I got to thinking one day, I was over in Chelan, our condo over there in the lake, three hours east of where we live here in Seattle. And uh, I just had this idea flash across my, my mind. Uh, we never have to go it alone. And I thought, how many aspiring speakers and writers are there out there that would love to write a book or love to start a speaking business. And uh, I've done a lot of work with uh, different associations that uh, in their communities, right? And so I thought, what if, I, what if I launched a community for writers and speakers 
there's plenty of communities out there that little, you know, advertise that they'll help you write a book, but there isn't one out there that says, we'll help you become a speaker and a writer. So I called you and I ran the idea by you. What if we started this community to help uh, aspiring writers get their book done? Or uh, if it's done, help them market it. And then more importantly, for the, the speaker side of the equation, how do you get speaking gigs and how do you prepare? And, you know, a lot of the things we've talked about today. So we're launching this community and Stone Soup is, is an old uh, Eastern European fable about how a community, you know, makes soup together. And so my, my thought was, what if we made a very reasonable uh, investment and we offered podcasts and webcasts and webinars and content rich information on a website. And so that's what we're doing. And Jason, you, you know, we're doing this together. So your add your two cents, if you would. Absolutely. It's going to be everything that you would want to know about speaking and writing and how to bring those two things together to ensure your own success over a long period of time. And at any level, if you're a beginner, if you say, I, I would love to be a, a published author, but I have no idea how to even go about this, we're going to help you do that. If you have published a book, if you're already a speaker and you need to hone your skills, you need to get better or you need to cross over from being a speaker to an author or vice versa, we're going to help you do that. And most importantly, we will be available to you personally to help you through that. It's not just going to be a matter of watching videos or reading papers. You will be able to speak to us directly in person, one-to-one. With, with real coaching and goal-oriented sessions that will help get you to where you need to be. And the most important piece in that equation is, it, as a speaker and as a writer, it's a lonely business. And it just is. You have to have a measure of fortitude. And I've been really blessed. Uh, I have a lot of speaker friends that I talk to on a regular basis, but who do you talk to if you're a writer? Who do you talk to if you're an aspiring speaker? And, and, and frankly, you know, the things that we'll be offering will save thousands of hours of trial and error. You know, if, if there was something like this when I first started, I would have jumped on it. But I had to learn through reading 3,000 books and, you know, having hundreds of conversations with speakers that I proactively reached out to. This is, we're providing an opportunity to create this community of aspiring speakers and writers who, you know, don't have to walk alone. That's exactly right. And, and you said, you know, when you're a speaker, or you're a writer, it's a lonely business. Who do you talk to? More importantly, who do you talk to who has achieved what you're trying to achieve? Who has already done it, who has, who has found success, who understands how it works. And that's where you and I come in. We are where, we're where you want to be and we can help you get there. Well, we've done five books together and, and a dozen eBooks and we're just getting started. Uh, and Jason, I've had more fun the last 20 years working with you because let me just say this because Jason's a pretty humble guy. He would never say this, but he's forgotten more than most of these quote unquote experts uh, about how to get a book uh, from start to finish. And, you know, we've worked very successfully on five different projects and those books have changed people's lives. And, and maybe that's the, maybe that's the biggest thing. When you get a letter or a text or an email or a phone call from somebody that says your book changed my life. I got one this morning. And that's why he ordered a bunch of books. His wife read the book and said, this is what we need to do. Call this guy and order, you know, you know, 50 copies for, for everybody in the company. And when that happens, you realize you're making a dent in the universe and you're leaving a legacy. It's a shade tree that you get to sit under. 
because you know what? I, I read this this morning. Denzel Washington said, what you'll never see at the back of a hearse is a U-Haul trailer. You can't take it with you. It's all about creating a legacy. And I think that's true. And that's what speaking and, and, and writing does. It, it, it's immortal. it makes us immortal. That's exactly right. I agree 100%. As I always tell people, when you publish a book, someone 100 years from now will pull that book off of the shelf and it will change their lives. You won't even be here anymore. You will never be that, meet that person, but you are going to have that kind of influence forever because you have created something that endures. I've actually fantasized about my granddaughter saying to one of her friends in college, have you read my grandfather's book? Or somebody says to her, I read your grandfather's book and it changed my life. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Exactly, exactly. Well, so this is just a small sample of, of the expertise that would be available to you as a member of Stone Soup Group. So if, what you, if you like what you heard here today, if you think that it's going to help you, please check it out. So thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. This has been a great session. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, so on behalf of Mark Madison, because this is really his show, I'm going to say go forth, do great work, and achieve the best of success. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans.